Race matters. 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 I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on unceded Gadigal land. This land has been in the hands of generations of Gadigal custodians for thousands of years before us and will continue to be in their hands long after us. It's a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories and song. And we are privileged to be a part of that storytelling today and every day at FBI Radio. You're listening to Race Matters. This is a show that explores the values and complexities of race, culture, and identity. My name is Tanya Shukla, and I am moved by the stories that explore love, community, and what it means to be here, right now. Across the month of December, Race Matters will be hosting a summer retreat, a series of conversations and mixes exploring modes of healing that are rooted in different cultures, ways of being, and speak to the nuance and expansiveness of our communities. Racial stress impacts every part of a person's life. One of these areas is sexual experience and expression. In conversation with Sekna Hamoud Beckett, narrative therapist and registered psychologist, we explore how racism infiltrates and shapes our most intimate moments. As a subject that goes unspoken, but permeates through the lived experience of many people of colour, racism impacts the dynamics of casual romantic relationships and sexual interactions. This conversation sprouts from my personal experience with online dating. What started out as a casual and fun way to connect with other people slowly became a transformative journey where I began to question how the structure of our world is embedded in our understanding of deep-seated intimate relationships. Can you share a bit about your personal journey as a therapist or how you came into this wisdom? So I am a woman whose identity is woven with a rich tapestry of my ancestral heritage and the lands I've called home. I was born on Darak land and now reside on Gadigal land and my pronouns are she, her and my roots trace back to uh, Lebanese Muslim ancestry. I grew up in a context embracing both uh, Sunni and the Shia sect and again I often say I identify as a sushi. and my life has been um, shaped by diverse experiences, intimately knowing violence and safety, homelessness and home, fear and peace, poverty and enoughness. And all of this has brought me to this uh, stage in my life. My data taught me the value of instilling with me a strong sense of strength and resilience that whenever there is oppression, there is creative acts of resistance. You come from this place of creative resistance, like you've said, your tater has gone through a life and has known the the 
the dichotomy of what it means to be in this world. How did that guide you to becoming a narrative therapist? I grew up in a context in which there was a dominant voice around um, or prescribed ways of being in the world, particularly around um, um, gendered expectations. And a lot of those didn't fit for my sisters and I. So um, within, and it's something that I've learned within every culture, religion, community, there are acts of liberation and non-liberation. And one of the things my sisters and I would constantly do was to question the status quo, but also find acts of liberation. And I think this drew me, and I might speak to narrative therapy, how it's a practice deeply rooted in respect and valuing people's agency and resourcefulness as they navigate challenges in life. And what people are invited to do is to ascribe meaning to their experiences and to broaden the lens and to explore social and cultural contexts that shape their lives and that align with their own values. And this is done with the power of language in shaping our identities and experiences. That's the central focus of my interest in the work. Sekna, can you speak to the importance of understanding race and racism in relation to casual dating? So, um, Racism is embedded um, in our ongoing colonial structures. It's omnipresent. So it significantly impacts dating, intimacy, sexual relationships in various ways. And I think it influences us both through individual experiences and societal dynamics. So uh, what I've seen in my professional work is um, the experiences of people being racially stereotyped, the microaggressions that exist, the exoticization, um, the expectations that are placed on people around dominant discourses, like expectations of coming out. There's also the, um, what I see is the internalized racism that also starts to play out in um, intimate relationships, communication challenges, cultural differences, and all of these impact on people's self-esteem and and mental health. And that's what I've seen shown in my work. You spoke about how language is really important when it comes to understanding our experiences in the world. And for this conversation, I wanted to look at racism and casual dating. Are there reoccurring themes, reoccurring stories that come about when somebody is in therapy and they're trying to make sense of the experiences that they've had? I can offer examples illustrating experiences of racism in relationships that I've heard through my work. There are microaggressions. So, for example, where people make remarks like, oh, you're so articulate. I didn't think, you know, someone from your background would be so articulate. So implying a surprise at our abilities to speak well, which feels patronising and based on, I'm guessing, some preconceived notion around our communities. Um, Particularly when I'm working with people from, um, you know, our communities of diverse sexualities and genders, there are certain expectations around coming out. And if you do not subscribe to that expectation of coming out, then therefore you are not someone who is authentic or feels comfortable in their own skin. 
um, you know, or I hear sometimes a lack of understanding when someone shares an experience of racism and a partner or an someone you're dating brushes it off and, and says something like, I'm sure, I'm sure they didn't mean it that way. There's the gaslighting, I think, and there's a denial of racism. When you bring up your experience, you know, people insist that you're overreacting or you're imagining things and they're denying the validity of your experiences of discrimination. Um, yeah, and sometimes people really do experience feelings of isolation in social gatherings um, and then there's, yeah, the the because of cultural differences or feeling disconnected and recognising in those spaces what becomes privileged and whose practices become privileged and who's um, moved towards the sidelines. But I'm curious for you, Tanya, what have you experienced in your own personal experience if you feel comfortable sharing? My experience is that otherness. It's that feeling of not being able to go to some of my closest friends to talk about these issues. Um, It's also kind of been a positive experience where I have sought out new relationships with people who do understand and have that space not only to validate what I'm going through but literally have gone through the same thing themselves that it's not about validating it's not about saying no that didn't happen it's about just holding the space and letting whatever emotion is true exist. I wanted to ask, when exploring diverse relationships, are there unique themes with couples who are dealing with the effects of racism on their relationship dynamic? What have you seen? What have you experienced, Tanya? I have to box myself and I have to hide parts of myself that are true to me whilst also elevating elements that are shiny. When I say that, it's from the perspective of the other person's view on me. And I know that that's an internalized narrative that I have, that as a person of color, I have to constantly be thinking about how I'm perceived, whether it's in a good way or even if it's a bad way. I need to have my self-awareness on. And the impact you see that having? The impact that I see it having is sometimes an identity crisis. Who am I? Why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? Who does it benefit? Does it benefit me to change myself for this other person? But at the same time, I'm also, I also appreciate that with any relationship, there is this changing of sorts as you enter a flow of a new dynamic and it's the breaking down of who we think we are whilst being held by another person and making sense of, you know, the narrative of who Tanya is now is changing into the narrative of who Tanya is with a different relationship in my life. But is this um, racism dictating it? I don't know. And that has been the theme of this year and why I wanted to have this conversation with you. It's such a difficult topic to understand because you'll understand one facet of it but then you'll have another experience and then that experience will make you question all of the other stuff and I think and maybe this is the role of narrative therapy is 
seeing the different storylines that can exist simultaneously and be true and they not be impacted by each other. And is it okay if I ask how you've responded to these situations when you recognise the sidelining of your particular preferred ways of being to be or to negotiate a new relationship space? I enjoy witnessing it because I know that I'm in a space right now where it's very exploratory, where I'm going out into the world, I'm meeting new people, I'm having all of these new experiences. And I know my core, the life that I want to live because it's dictated by a feeling and a sense of knowing in my body. And so even though these parts of me are sidelined, I'm held by my friendships, I'm held by my family, I'm held by anchors to community. And that reminds me that even though I might have these experiences based on discrimination and prejudice, sometimes what quote unquote is othered is also the thing that really brings me into myself, really brings me into my spirit and my soul and allows me to foster such deep and meaningful connections with the people around me. So if I was to link to some of the, again, the ways I've seen people respond to the beauty and the complexity of navigating um, relationships or the dating landscape, the key is open communication. You know, to foster open, honest and compassionate communication with your your the person you're dating or with your partners about the experiences related to the racism or the experiences of sidelining or whatever it is that's showing up. Uh, to, to share your feelings and concerns, if it is safe enough to do so, while actively listening to their perspective as well. And I, and I draw upon, um, you know, uh, there's a quote by Aristotle that says something like, the mark of an educated mind is to entertain things even if you don't believe in them. It's just to have that space of sitting with someone and go, okay, this may not resonate, but there is an openness to, to hear diverse experiences. But I also factor in... Um, you know, power and privilege in that dynamic, depending on where they're located on that spectrum. So education and awareness, I think we've got to educate ourselves um, in terms of our relationship with racism, the way it shows up, how it impacts us, where it's come from, the history of its, the racism, the way it tries to other us. I want to come back to what you were saying, Tanya, it's so important to witness and validate our experiences, particularly with racism, to empathise the challenges that we're navigating without minimising our feelings or experiences, Experiences, because there's a way, I think, in our communities where it can be shrunk as opposed to really honoured and acknowledged and witnessed. The other thing is to set those lines for us, to really establish clear lines with people, what is acceptable, not acceptable, when is the sidelining okay and when is it not? So when we're, we're kind of navigating the, the dating world to really invest in our self-care and it's something that Audrey Lord talks about, that self-care is an act of self-preservation um, and it's a, it, and it really it's an act of political warfare. So really to invest in ourselves, to build up our practices, but to create a community around us, as you said, with your delightful friends and to engage with communities, um, organisations and people who really advocate for racial 
social equality and justice, where we can participate in podcasts like this, have discussions, events, activities that promote awareness and challenge these injustices together. And, and to know that we're, we embrace the ongoing learning and growth as individuals, as lovers, as partners, you know, to be open to kind of different perspectives, challenge our own assumptions, support each other in our journeys in understanding the impact of racism and the effect it has on us and others and the world that we live in. Yeah. And you said something so powerful just then, how education and awareness can be acts of love and that these become sites of transformation, resilience and healing. And though the chaos of racism and dating is an experience that many people go through, are going through, and until we restructure society and things change, we'll go through. I think we can ground ourselves in these feelings and the knowing that A, a person's not alone, that we can use language as a modality for healing and that we do have communities around us, that there are people who understand to such a depth what it means to be a person of colour. If love could speak to racism, what would you like it to say? In a loving embrace, I would think love tells racism it's okay to rest. It's okay to lie down. It's okay to not be here right now. And I think love would wrap racism in itself. It wouldn't be a, a battle between these two different themes, but love would become all consuming of racism and racism would shrink as love's light begins to hold it. What do you think love would say to racism? Mahmoud Darwish says love is a strong force. Um, he says something like it's a, a great good in every community. Love is justice. So love would say to racism, let's have more justice. Sekna, we're coming to the close of our conversation on race matters. This is one conversation amongst many and I'd love to thank you for your time, wisdom, and the space you have held for this subject. Is there anything you'd like to end on? Racism exists because of particular dominant forces that exist in our world, and we need to dismantle them. And that really requires um, decolonizing our world. We have a long way to go, but we chip away. And I'm going to wrap it up with the best advice from Lila Watson, who I often quote her. And she says, if you have come to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. Let's work together. So the importance of love as a force for justice and understanding um, that the well-being of all is deeply interconnected, highlighting the significance of unity and collaboration for a more and just and equitable world. Race matters. 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 Race matters.